back to another episode of Questions with Crocker with me, Dr. Crocker, and my husband, Shane. Hey. Hey. I'm here. It's the middle of the day. We're recording. It's not late at night again. So excited. Yes. You have a golf game, though, to get to here yes. shortly. So we're going to have to speed this process up. <laughs> we can't speed it up. We got to make sure that we do a good, thorough job. But I'm excited about our question today. But before we get into that, how was your weekend? It was good, I think. I don't remember. <laughs> it was really crazy, busy, and hectic. So I was at Texas Veterinary Medical, no, Southwest Vet Symposium, sorry, uh, Southwest Vet Symposium for the Texas Veterinary Medical Association meetings. I am the vice chair of the PR committee, which, surprise, surprise, I enjoy doing stuff like that. And uh, it was in San Antonio. So I was there doing meetings and you were here with the kids. I was not in San Antonio eating good food. (laughs) We only had one really good dinner. One really good dinner. We actually, uh, for everyone listening, we made a rule a long time ago. Shane used to travel all the time. And I now the roles are reversed. But when you traveled, you were very sweet and wanted to keep me in the loop with what you had going on. Uh, And you actually would take pictures of these like really nice dinners that you went to. Really nice, like glass of wine sitting there, steak, and you would send it to me and I would literally be sitting there eating chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese with the kids and I would be so irrational. The tides have now turned. They have turned. I would be so jealous and so angry. Um, and I eventually said, like, just stop sending me pictures of your amazing food because that is not what I'm eating when I'm home with the kids. So uh, those of you that travel just realize you may think that you're being helpful, but it can be a little difficult to see the good stuff that's happening when you're not there. But the kids were great. Y'all had a good time. There was some sports this weekend. I actually flew back in town, saw you guys for just a minute for dinner, and then went in to work a night shift at the ER. Um, And we were busy. It was a Saturday night. And so of course, it's rocking and rolling. Um, and we had a couple interesting cases, but one of them was actually super, super sad. Um, so we had a dog that had come in and it was limping. And this has actually happened three other times uh, where a dog came in limping. And when we examined him, we actually found that there was something on the leg that was cutting off circulation. And so the foot was like, basically not getting good blood flow. And so I've seen it in the past when kids have accidentally put like a rubber band on there and the parents didn't know about it. Um, But this one is another common reason. And it's when the hair actually gets matted and overgrown Mm. and they, and it wraps and becomes really tight. It can actually happen in little kids too, because I remember when we had um, our babies and as a mom, you probably never did this, but you, uh, research all the things that could go wrong with your children uh, just so you have more to worry about. And one of the things they said is check your kids' toes and fingers all the time because they'll get little pieces of hair wrapped around there and they actually will get like embedded in there and get infected and have issues. So it's always something I was kind of aware of, which is weird. That was not on my radar. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever really worry about much when they were itty bitty? Not a whole lot. No. No, that's that was definitely my job. And so uh, we were able to, you know, sedate the dog remove the hair, uh, clean it up, and are now trying to see if we can save the foot. Um, But it's looking like the dog might need an amputation. Um, It's a really, really great reminder that if you have a pet that requires grooming uh, or brushing, that you have to stay on top of that because we actually will see a fair amount of matted cases. Um, I had another one where the mats were so bad and there was an odor and we like could not figure out where the odor was coming from on this little dog. And we 
sedated it and started like grooming and literally picked up a mat and the skin underneath it was just dead and there was maggots mm. in there and it was really gross. Would maggots be like a no-go for you? Yeah. That'd be like another reason why you would never be in veterinary medicine. That would be close to the top of the list, yes. I would say that a majority of veterinarians are probably good with maggots, but I'd be interested to hear people's feedback on that. Um, so that was another really bad case of not grooming, not maintaining a dog's hair coat. So something to consider when you're looking to get a dog. Don't get a dog with long hair, obviously. <laughs> it's not long hair. It's like certain breeds just have more likely to mat hair. But this is like a little terrier thing and it was actually really cute. The dog's going to be okay, but it was definitely a reminder of something that um, pet owners need to be aware of. So thought I would share that. Anything you want to share? Anything going on? Nothing with maggots or smelling bad. Anything going on with the practice that you want to update me on? Our practice? Yes, our practice. Nothing I can think of. <laughs> No well, we, permits yet. We had a little bit of a finance meeting this morning. What was that about? Uh, increasing revenues because of the adjustments and the hires that we made. Can you explain a little bit more, please? <laughs> <laughs> so we're trying to work off of ratios and based off of the new hires, the expense associated with the employees and the veterinarians is higher than where it needs to be. Therefore, we have to increase revenues to justify that additional expense. Correct. And but we, we knew it was coming. It's just we were trying to figure out what is the new number, revenue number, number target need to be. 100%. So when you add a new team member or add a veterinarian, um, I like to do it before you have like a huge need and you're overwhelmed and stressed out. Like I want to make sure my team doesn't get to that point. And so we've added someone and we were working at a pretty great pace, but no one was like overwhelmed. So now things feel slower because we actually have more availability in our schedule. And so uh, it's interesting because our new veterinarian has only been there two weeks and I wanted them to have a little bit of time to kind of get in the flow of um, just working with two vets in the office and who was going to do what and efficiency and all that. But they all have said, we're working great together and we want to up the clientele. And so we started doing some marketing, which I'm really excited about. Uh, so I started running more ads on social media. Um, we actually, September is senior pet month. So we decided to do a special around that, sent that out on e via email to everyone. And then I printed a list of clients that had pets that were seniors that we had seen in the last two and a half years that were overdue for their annuals. And we started calling them and saying, hey, we have this special. We want you to take advantage of it. If you book your appointment now for this month or next month, uh, we can honor that. And so I actually had the team like booking appointments yesterday uh, and filling up the schedule. So nice. it was really nice to turn on a little bit more of the marketing. There's a lot more I want to do, uh, but that's the part I really, really enjoy. So it was fun. There was a little bit of awkwardness, though. Um, apparently, when we were calling, and I kind of thought about this, but not all the way through, uh, there was a couple where the owner said, uh, yeah, that pet's not alive anymore. And so um, no one was upset. Everyone like appreciated us calling and checking in. But we definitely were kind of updating some records. And the technicians were like, it's so awkward. Uh, so we talked through like how to handle that. Um, but for the most part, it was working really, really well. But I was like, whoops. Yeah, it's not that deal. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's get into our talk today and our question. 
And I think it's one that is really, really common uh, and I get frequently, but um, at Jasmine wanted to know, uh, how do you handle imposter syndrome? Uh, She also asked about mental health, uh, but neither of us are mental health specialists. I think eventually we need to have someone on here who really does that. Uh, But we've definitely experienced imposter syndrome I have uh, in this profession. I'm sure you have some point in time in life. So uh, I thought it would be- Why don't you define imposter syndrome first? I can do that. So imposter syndrome is when you are in a situation and really you feel like you don't deserve to be there, you shouldn't be there. Uh, And it's almost your mind like telling yourself like you're not good enough to do this or you don't know what you're doing. So you feel like an imposter. Um, It's really common, I would say probably in every profession, but especially when you have the- burden of dealing with life and death and people's pets uh, that they really love and consider family, uh, it can be a little bit harder. So it's something that I don't think ever goes away, and but you definitely experience it more when you're early on in your career. Have you ever had a time in your career when you felt like an imposter or you were in a situation where you were like, I don't know that I deserve to be at this table right now? Yeah, I think it happens all the time. I mean, there's been several times where you're around CEOs of very large corporations are in rooms full of, you know, Harvard MBAs, and they're all listening to your opinion. So I think it's very easy to ask yourself, why am I here? Do I belong here? I thought it was interesting when we, you told me about uh, all the acronyms that they used and had like their own language. Can you explain that a little bit too? Oh, just the all the MBAs have their MBA behind their title, and if they have any kind of um, – um, special um, stuff around like finance, people with finance degrees and stuff have different um, things that they uh, have sat for and uh, been licensed to do. So they get different acronyms and stuff. So what about for the schools though? I thought you were saying like they had different ways that they would say the schools that weren't like Harvard, like they would say like different shorter things for different schools. And they, it was almost like their own little like private language of they knew who um, went where. Most of us, like they talk about your pedigree, meaning, you know, where'd you get, go to business school at, et cetera. But yeah. And were you like Louisiana Tech? That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's like the room's like Harvard, Harvard, Stanford, and you're like Louisiana Tech. Tech. Yeah. I love it. Um, well, obviously, La Tech did good by you because you know what you're talking about and you do a really good job. So, um, But I definitely have experienced imposter syndrome. I think when I first got out of school because I went into an internship, I didn't feel it as much because I knew I was a new grad. I knew I had a lot that I needed to learn, but I had support and I had mentorship uh, and I didn't really feel like I was just thrown out there. Uh, And I had really good training and I already was decent at communicating. And so I didn't feel that as much. I think as I got along in my career and I became more and more independent in what I was doing, there was definitely times where I felt like I shouldn't be here. But most recently, I've honestly experienced it uh, just doing more speaking and traveling. Uh, Until you get into the speaking world, you don't really realize uh, that there's kind of little groups of speakers that all speak together and everyone knows everybody. Um, There is groups that are very, I wouldn't say that they're exclusive, but there are groups of people that you definitely feel like I can't really talk to that person. And then there are some that are so welcoming and so encouraging. And I've got some mentors now in the speaking world that have really helped me um, and set me up for success. But 
the first time I got up at a conference <laughs> to talk, uh, I remember I took a picture of the room and I sent it to you and I was like, people actually came to listen to me. Uh, and so it was a really great feeling, but I still kind of walk around sometimes and even though now I've been speaking for a couple of years in the conference circuit, I feel very much like maybe I shouldn't be here with all these people that have all this knowledge and all this experience. But eventually those people are going to, you know, be out of it. And I'm kind of in the middle of the road with my speaking career. And so hopefully I can continue to grow in it and eventually I'll be in the position they're in. But I probably feel it most in that setting right now. Um, a lot of new grads experience it when they're in a room with a client and a client asks a question that they're not sure how to answer. So I do think there's some tips and tricks that I can give them for that. I think that clients appreciate honesty. I think if you say, you know what, I'm not really sure about that. I want to make sure I give you accurate information. So I'm going to go consult with the other veterinarians I work with, or I'm going to let them look at this x-ray also, or let me call the specialist and let me make sure that I'm telling you, you know, the up-to-date information on this. I think clients appreciate that. I would agree, but you have to be careful. Some people can say that for every question, right? So I think if you're dealing with imposter syndrome, sometimes maybe you may know the answer but you're just not 100% confident in it, there may be times where you just have to say, this is the answer, even though you're not 100%, maybe you're 95%, right? Um, those that you're not sure about, then yes. Great question. Let me do some research and come back to you. But don't get to a point where you're not answering a question at all because you're not 100% confident that that's the right answer, right? Do you think that the next generation is more scared to be wrong? I don't know if they're more scared to be wrong. I think they're, and again, I'm not an expert on um, generational generational differences, differences, but I feel like a lot of the the generation below us um, is almost very niched. So they have a lot of information, but maybe it's very niched down and not wide spanning, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if it's something that's not in their comfort zone, they're not as likely to speak to it. But if it's something that they feel like really confident, comfortable talking about, then they're going to like come at it with yeah. everything they that's have. That's how I feel. And again, I'm not an expert in that. It's just my observation. I think because we are dealing with people who experienced COVID during vet school, they feel like they didn't get the full experience, which they didn't. They didn't get as much hands-on. And so there is more imposter syndrome when it comes to surgical skills, uh, when it comes to talking to owners, because they had less interaction in person. They were, you know, practicing surgery on models at home and doing less live things. They weren't able to be in clinics full time. A lot of them had uh, 50% rotations where half of them were in clinics and half weren't. So they actually got kind of half the clinical time that some of us did. And so I think that contributed to them just overall skill set wise being less confident. I could see that. I mean, that would definitely lead to some questions internally, right? If you're not confident about something or you haven't done it enough to be confident. Yeah. That's problematic. And I do think that, you know, everyone says like, fake it till you make it. I think you can do that a little bit. I personally think pet owners can see through it if you are not comfortable with something or you don't feel confident in what you're saying. So for me, being honest about what you know and what you don't know I think is important. I made a video the other day uh, with my friend, Dr. Molly, and we talked about what do veterinarians Google um, because we do Google things and we do look things up. And so uh, 
I was saying that I had a surgery the other day that I was doing and I hadn't done it before and I knew the anatomy and it's very similar to another surgery I've done a lot, but I did like watched a YouTube video just to like refresh myself on like what the anatomy was and what I was going to do. And I have no shame in saying that because there's nothing wrong with saying I want to make sure I'm going into this like with all the information. I know people that if they're doing a procedure, they haven't done a lot, they'll have the surgery book like in surgery and they'll kind of have someone read through all the steps in the anatomy just to make sure that they are doing the best that they can for that pet. And so I think part of imposter syndrome is realizing no one has all the answers. Mm -hmm. No one knows everything. And it's totally okay to say, I'm not sure and look it up um, or to ask for help or phone a friend. The important thing is you need to know where to find the answer. Yes. And if you are pretending you know everything, that's where mistakes happen and that's where problems arise. Um, We had a student in vet school um, who was very confident, need I say cocky. Um, And this person was a small animal person and didn't really want to do large animals. But because of the way clinics are, you have to kind of work your way through, you know, all the different rotations, have a basic understanding. And unfortunately, when they were on equine, um, they administered a medication IV that absolutely cannot go IV. And this patient had seizures and almost died. And it's because the medication looks different in small animal and you can give it IV. But they were so confident they knew what it was. They knew what was happening. They knew what needed to like be done in that moment. They didn't consult with anybody. They didn't realize that it's different in the two different. And you know, it almost cost this patient their life. And so being too confident and cocky and things is is not good either. So a little bit of imposter syndrome to kind of keep us in check with what we do and don't know is not a bad thing. Yeah, and I, I would say it also can push you and motivate you to get better and be better, right? Yes. So if you're always striving to clear out that imposter syndrome, that probably means you're studying and you're working hard and you're gaining knowledge in areas where you're not as confident. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing you can do is say, oh, my gosh, I have imposter syndrome. I don't know this. But then not yeah, just shut down. try to yeah. get better at what you're not confident in and not continue to practice it and grow your skill set, which I do see. I see a lot of people get stuck in the feeling of anxiety and stress of I don't know these things. And what you need to do is take a minute to recognize I'm feeling this way because I don't know this. And what can I do to set myself up for success in the future? And that is doing, you know, CE if you need to on things, making sure you have a mentor you can ask questions of, uh, but really trying to elevate your skill set and your communication so that when you're in those situations, you can handle them a little bit better. Um, One of the things that I will do before speaking is I will do different breathing techniques that will help me physiologically calm myself down. Um, So there's SEAL team breathing that a lot of people um, are aware of and they can look up. And then uh, there's also a different one where you can breathe in through your nose, you hold it for so long and you breathe out through your mouth and it's a countdown that you do. And it actually lowers your blood pressure and your heart rate by doing that. And so there's very concrete things you can do in those situations, again, to set yourself up for success. The worst thing is when you're talking to an owner and you get nervous and you get that like shake in your voice and then you know that shake is in your voice. So then you're stressing even more and the owner's kind of looking at you funny. So then you start sweating and it's just like this, you know, continuous. (laughs) Yes. So I think the more you can calm yourself before those situations, the better. Um, But do you think imposter syndrome ever goes away? 
Probably not. I mean, I think as you progress in your career and you um, become more successful, you're still chasing somebody, right? I mean, you're still in a room with people that are smarter than you or have done more than you. So I think I think it's always there. It's just a matter of how you, like you said, how you handle it. Well, do you and, use it as fuel for the fire or does it shut you down? And I think in this career, you can get static and get bored and get uh, burn out a little bit just because you do the same thing over and over and there's no new challenge. And so if you are wanting to continue to grow as a veterinarian and grow in your career, you're going to be uncomfortable and you're going to put yourself in positions that, you know, maybe you don't feel 100 percent about. Um, I would rather, you know, work on the ER floor and have 50 pets trying to die on me and do really hard surgeries sometimes than go have a discussion about like raw food diet with an owner, which we're going to talk about that in the future. But there's certain things I feel a lot more comfortable and confident in than other things. But I'm continuing to try to grow my understanding and my skill set of things and and decide how I'm going to communicate these more hot button issues. Um, social media is the same way, you know, like getting into it initially, really uncomfortable, wasn't sure what to do. I YouTubed a lot of things. I didn't even know how to make a story. I didn't know when you had a story up and there was a link on it, you could click the link and it would take you directly to something like that's how little I knew about social media. But I realized what I didn't know, what I did know, and I kept pushing and putting myself out there. And now I feel really, really comfortable with it. And so I think pushing yourself and growing is important and realizing a part of that is going to be having moments of imposter syndrome. And that is normal. And that's okay. Do you think that having people to talk to probably helps. Yeah, I think so. I mean, 100% anytime you can talk about things that are bothering you is a um, positive, right? I mean, uh, that definitely helps. I think also stopping and remembering where you came from. Uh, as a veterinarian, as an example, you did go to vet school. You have been practicing medicine for a while. So you still know more than 99% of that person sitting across the table from you, right? Same thing in business. You have people that have put you in a scenario to be in a meeting. They have confidence that you can deliver. So you have to look back at that and say, other people believe in me. I'm here for a reason. Now let's just roll with it. So I think looking back at where kind of where you came from and in your journey and what you have learned can help ease some of that as well. Well, and understanding that different perspectives actually make a team stronger and different experiences do. So, you know, someone might say, I went into horses and I didn't really work on like, high quality horses that did this in this industry, but maybe they did something else and they have really great communication skills because of that, or they're really comfortable, you know, with another industry and they can bring some of those skills to it. I think probably you going to not an Ivy League school gives you a different perspective when it comes to these meetings. And you are very adaptable where you can go in and put on a really nice suit and you can talk to those people, but you also can put on jeans and a polo and you can go, you know, talk to people out in West Texas. And so it makes you a little more adaptable than maybe some other people would be. I've also kind of um, used my strengths and my advantage. One, I'm, I know I'm not the smartest guy in the room. But I know that once I understand something, I'm able to explain it in a way that anybody else can understand it. So that's something I use whenever I'm in meetings. If I know something in and out, I'm able to sit down and explain that to the people across from me. They may be a lot smarter. They may have a lot more knowledge in the industry. They may have been doing it for a lot longer. But there's something that 
that I'm delivering to them that they want to hear. And I'm able to do that in a way that they understand it very clearly because I had to make myself understand it. So sometimes just using your own, I don't want to say it's a weaknesses, but using your own um, uh, things to your advantage. So I know that for me to be able to, to talk to something, I've really had to understand it in depth. So I use that to study and make sure I understand it. And then once I understand it, I can deliver it. Some people don't have to go to that knowledge or that, that depth because they can deliver something just because they're so intelligent or they read it one time. So using your strengths or what you're good at um, can also help you in the future as well. Well, and I also hear you saying that using terminology that is more universal is important. Yes. And I do think that's something that uh, – newer veterinarians struggle with a little bit uh, when they're talking about, you know, kidney failure in a cat. They can get really into uh, the physiology of the kidneys. And honestly, as a patient owner, I don't want to hear that crap. Exactly. Uh, owners don't really care why their cat is uh, has a low potassium. They don't need to know about the whole, you know, loop cycle that ha is involved with that. Um, but they need to know because of the kidneys, this is what's happening in your cat body. And these are the things we need to do to address it. And I'll see them using terms that are difficult for owners to understand. And I really realized it when I was a technician, because, you know, a doctor would explain something and talk about something. And then, you know, do you have questions? No, they would leave the room. And then that's when the questions would sometimes start. And they'd say, like, why are we giving an anti-nausea? <laughs> because, because that patient actually has imposter syndrome, yes. you know? They don't want to ask a question the because they owner. feel stupid. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like they want the the veterinarian to feel like they understand it, they get it, and they're going to do whatever. But then you leave, and they say, "Why are we giving antibiotics again? And what do I need to do about this? And what if they don't eat?" And it, it's information overload too. Sometimes I think when we have imposter syndrome, we feel like the more information we give them, the more we talk, then it's going to help them understand better. And really, it just overwhelms owners. And I think sticking to the really, really important hit home facts is more important. And really, I see it in the ER more than anything else. Uh, we had a pet come in uh, hit by a car and the dog had a I mean, the back leg was completely shattered, bone sticking out. It was bleeding. Um, and there's a lot of other injuries that can occur when they get hit by a car, especially in the hind end. They can rupture their bladder. Their spleen can get hit and they can be bleeding. Uh, if their chest is hit, they can get a pneumothorax. There's a lot of other things that could happen. And hospitalization, even if you don't see some of those things initially, they can happen in the next 48 hours. So, you know, I'm working with a, a newer veterinarian and – she is trying to figure out like all the things wrong with the dog and talk about it. And I had to just say like, stop for a second. The most important thing right now is the shattered leg because we definitely can monitor and treat those other things if they occur. However, what is this owner going to do about the leg? Can they afford to go to a surgeon and have it pinned? Can they afford an amputation? Um, can this dog be three-legged? Does it have a reason or arthritis or something else going on? The leg is something they can see. The leg is something they understand. So going into all the other things that could happen in 48 hours doesn't really matter at this point in time. It's a lot easier to say your dog was hit by a car, has a shattered leg. It either needs to be amputated or surgically fixed. If we can stabilize them in the next couple hours, 
this is what that looks like financially, time-wise. Is that an option? If that's not an option, it doesn't matter Yeah, Yeah, that they can't hospitalize for 48 hours. And so um, I think that was good feedback. And they said that they appreciated that because as a newer grad, they wanted to tell owners like everything and make sure they had all the information. And in an emergency setting, sometimes they need the information they need to make a decision, but they don't need all the information. And um, that was a good learning case for them. Um, But I think they just felt a little bit overwhelmed with the situation. And when you're overwhelmed, a lot of people tend to just talk a lot. And I think that that is something with imposter syndrome you have to be cautious of. So let's recap a little bit. Number one, everybody has imposter syndrome and nobody has all the answers. Number two, you don't need all the answers, but you need to know where to find them. And it's okay to phone a friend and to be transparent about what you do and don't know. Number three, set yourself up for success with breathing exercises, with studying what you don't know and continuing to increase your skill set. And number four, when you're nervous, make sure that you are still communicating effectively with owners and you are using language that they can understand and not overwhelming them with that knowledge. Is there anything I missed? It's all good stuff. I mean, I try to be as concise as possible. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm that concise in life. I have imposter syndrome with a, uh, what is this called? Podcast? A podcast. When watching the Kelsey Brothers. Oh, man. The Kelsey Brothers are great. And, you know, I never even was aware really of Travis Kelsey until, you know, he started dating Taylor Swift. So <laughs> I'm just joking. Ridiculous. <laughs> I do know more about football than that. So that's good. I'm more of both of them. I have to say I'm more of a Jason Kelsey fan, though, than a Travis Kelsey fan. So I don't know what that says about me, but... I have to say that. And you should not have imposter syndrome about the podcast. I actually just got a message the other day um, from one of our friends, and they said Shane's voice was made for podcasting. So I'll say he has a face for the radio. (laughs) You uh, attribute or you give a lot to this podcast, and I do appreciate you being here. So that's a wrap on today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, If you want to listen to more of the episodes, you can follow us on apple podcasts or spotify you also can find us on youtube if you want to watch us as we do these podcasts and we're on all the social media channels Uh, this only works if you send us questions so continue to send us questions share your stories with us Uh, we love talking about it we are not experts in any way shape or form but we just like sharing our knowledge and our experiences so thanks so much for being here and have a great day